You are worthy of all the honor. You are worthy of all the glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. How many of you are thankful that we serve an awesome God? He is alive and well. He is sitting on the throne. There's nobody like him. There's nobody beside him. King of kings and Lord of lords. He will reign forever. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you that we know who you are. That we can worship you in spirit and in truth today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It is so good to see each and every one of you here today. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not here by accident. You got here on purpose today. Amen. You got here on purpose. You didn't just accidentally show up. You're here on purpose. Now let's get tuned into his purpose for our lives. Amen. Have you ever wondered what the secret to living a fulfilling life is? Anybody? Nobody? I'm the only one. All right, there's a couple of you willing to admit it. I, I know that I have, and there's so many things that I've ventured, there's so many things that I've tried, and they really got me nowhere. Things I thought were going to make me happy, things that I thought were going to excite me and make me feel satisfied and fulfilled, but they faded so quickly and they needed to be repeated until they completely lost their excitement in my life. I think all of us struggle with, at times with being self-centered and wanting to satisfy and please ourselves, our flesh. You know, once you, once you do that, once you please your flesh, you would think that's the end. How many of you, you ate the, the very best food that you ever had and you thought, I will never need to eat again? This makes me so happy, right? I have walked out of places sometimes and I thought, that was so good. I don't care if I ever eat again. In fact, I don't ever feel like I will need to eat again. But just a few hours later, I found myself thinking, how can I get me more of that? It's, a, it's a, a cycle. It's an endless cycle. It leads us down a, a road of guilt and shame. And maybe, maybe it's not food for you. Maybe it's some sort of pleasure, temptation that you have. Would you like to know how to stop the madness? Would you like to know the secret to life, to having peace and fulfillment in your life? Well, if you, if you want to know the secret, you came to the right place. I, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to be boastful saying I know the secret to life. I found the secret to life in the book of life. In the book that he gave to us. And so today, I, I want to encourage you to listen closely because these aren't my words, these are his words, and I, I hope to carefully craft them so that you can understand what it is that he wants us to know. If you would, let's stand briefly and we're going to read a verse of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. And this is what it says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 
do all to the glory of God. I know it's simple, and I'm giving away the punchline before we even get into the sermon. But this is the secret to life. Everything is for God's glory. Everything in our lives is for God's glory. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence that we feel in this place. And thank you for what you are doing and have already done. And that the things that you are about to do, God, in our spirit today. And God, as we uh, embrace, Lord, the word that you have for us today, help us to receive it with all readiness of mind. And God, let us move forward in our relationship with you today and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, what does it mean to say that God created us for His glory? I mean, when you really think about it, glory is a very hard word to define. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing for us to define. It's, it's like the word beauty, right? You've heard beauty is in the eye of the... Yeah, I, I figured you'd know that. But we can all use it and we can communicate with it, but to try to reduce it to words if we're talking about the glory of God, it's very frustrating sometimes for me. And it's easier to point to examples, a, a sunset scene from the shoreline of a beautiful beach, that's glory, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I'm going there right now in my mind. Now when God says That He created us for His glory. It cannot mean that He created us so that He would become more glorious. Or that His beauty and perfection would be somehow increased by us. Because it's unthinkable that God should become more perfectly God by making something that is not God. Are you with me so far? But this means that When God says He made us for His glory, He does not mean that He would make us to be more glorious in Himself. He cannot get more glorious. Are you with me? Instead, when we read Isaiah 43, 7, it means that He created us to display His glory. That is, that His glory might be known, that His glory might be praised. This becomes even more clear as we move through uh, Isaiah. Uh, This is one of the scriptures, Isaiah 43, 20 and 21. He says, I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. In 44, 23, it says, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. In response to her redemption, Israel will join the skies and the valleys and the mountains and the forests and and sing praise to the Lord. And the Lord's glory will be known in praise and displayed to the nations. But then we get to Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, and it's made even more clear what he means for God to seek his own glory in creating and redeeming his people. This is what it says in the New American Standard Bible. It says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. I want you to get this. God will save His people. God will bless us abundantly. He will bless us infinitely. But it's for His name's sake. It's for His praise. It's for His glory that He does it. He said, for my own sake, for my own sake, this is, I'm doing it for my name's sake, that my name will not be profaned. The secret of life is living out the purpose that God has created for every one of us. I said you got here on purpose. Let's live out His purpose for our lives. Living out His purpose means that His glory is being declared through our lives. How does a star, we talked about some of these objects, how does a star speak of the glory of God? It's an inanimate object, right? It, it makes no sound, much less language. How does it speak? By being a star. <laughs> how does a tree speak of the, the, the glory of God? Just being a tree. How does a flower speak? By unfolding its color every spring. They just do what they're supposed to do. How does a lion uh, declare? By roaring. I mean, you, you, we think, well, that, that just seems so simple. Yes, it does. And when we see the world in the shape that God intended, the way that it's supposed to be, then God gets the glory without even saying a word. As people made in God's image, uh, do you remember that Jesus, they, they found the, the, the coin in the fish's mouth and they, 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 somebody brought up the fact that it had Caesar's image and he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and unto God the things that are God's? Do, do you realize that as we are made in God's image, we can join Him in this ongoing work in our lives that we display His glory? Wow. I, I can't even, I mean, I just... I, I almost can't even fathom that. That he trusts me enough to bring his glory out. <laughs> I, I don't know if you get that. That's a very high privilege. It, it, takes, it takes somebody who says, I am willing for my life to bring him glory, whatever that means. Well, we're, we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. What if all of our desires for man's approval was turned into a strong desire for God's approval on our lives. Then we'd be moving in the right direction. Our approach to life uh, and this kind of an approach to life doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just wake up and say, oh, you know what? I've been doing all this stuff for me. Now I'm just going to turn it all over to God. It, it's, it, it, you have to plan for it. It's systematic. You, you have to be disciplined about it. And so I think when we plan for it, we need to come back to it. Every time we stray away, every time we realize, you know, I've kind of gotten off course here, we, we come back to this central way of thinking for our lives. Everything in my life is for God's glory. Everything that happens to me, everything that I'm blessed with, everything that I do, everything that I say, every, every part of my life, it can bring God glory. Now, I will say this, you can be saved without suffering, but you cannot be sanctified without suffering. We don't, we don't want to talk about that because we're all creatures of comfort. That doesn't mean that you seek suffering out, but it does mean that you see it for what it is. Every time you suffer, every time you go through something and you, you have something that tries you, you have to understand it's all about His glory. 
I'm going through something right now to bring glory to God. I don't understand it. It doesn't always make sense to me, but I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going through what I'm going through because God is going to get the glory. Amen. God is going to get the glory. That's hard for us sometimes, you know, because we're just human. You ever read the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Just, you know, just a few uh, scriptures that just really bring this out. And, and, and the, the, the saying, Lord, if you had just been here. If you had been here. Mary and Martha felt this way about Jesus when, when Lazarus got sick and then he died and Jesus, their friend, was not far away and they sent him an urgent message, a high priority message and it was come straight away, hurry, Lazarus is sick. And John chapter 11 verse 6 says, when he had heard therefore that he was sick, he knew, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. (laughs) They waited and waited, and Lazarus died. Then Jesus showed up, and he offered no excuse. I mean, <laughs> seriously, we thought you were our friend. Wait a second. We, we messaged you days ago. You are the healer. Like, if you show up, people are getting healed. It, you know, what, what on earth could have delayed you? Don't you love us, Jesus? I'm, I'm, we're gonna, I'm gonna be in your business in just a second, and you're gonna realize I, I snuck in. They thought he loved them. I mean, everybody referred to Lazarus as the one Jesus loved. Look at John eleven three. His sister said unto him, saying, "Lazarus, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick." <laughs> oh. He loves me. Oh, he loves me. (laughs) This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Didn't he care? Have you ever felt that way? You pray about something? God, I've been praying about this for days. Don't you care? Don't you love me? These are the questions that almost every believer has when they go through a a dark valley. God, where are you? Why haven't you come yet? If you had been here, I wouldn't have failed. If you had just been here, my parents wouldn't have gotten divorced. If you had been here, I wouldn't have been so hurt. If you had been here, my wife wouldn't have died. Jesus' tardiness in coming to Lazarus was not due to a lack of care. God had orchestrated this situation for a greater purpose. And we read that in John 11, verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Hmm. So that he could reveal that he had power over everything. You you notice that the first thing we, we read about Jesus is that Jesus is weeping. Now, I don't know about you, but I... I really struggle with, why is Jesus weeping? You know, because I'm the type of person, if I know what the outcome is going to be, you know, for instance, if I've already seen the score on the game, and I'm watching the game, the bad calls against my team, don't make me too mad. I'm okay. 
Big deal. No big deal. We win in the end. No worries, right? But I, I, and I'm thinking, Jesus, you knew you were just about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Everything was going to be okay. Everything was going to be good. Why are you crying? Why are you, why are you sad? Why are you weeping? Because he cares about our pain. How many of you have kids and you know uh, what it's like for your children to experience pain? And you're, you're, you're knowing, I don't want them to experience this pain, but you know, it's better they get this shot now than they get the epizooty later. Right? Your kids look, I, I've said this a, a few weeks ago, your kids looking at you like, why would you let them do this to me? You know, in terror, there's terror all over their face. They're screaming, big tears streaming down their face. And you're holding them as tight as you can. And they're, they're like, you're killing me. And, and you're thinking, I'm doing this for your good, right? And, and I've learned my, my children have gone through some things. And I, I've, I know everything's going to be okay. I know on the other side of it, everything's going to be good. No worries. But it still hurts me whenever I see them go through stuff. And I realize this is why Jesus was weeping. He's weeping because Lazarus was dead and Mary and Martha were troubled by it. Mary and Martha were hurting. And so I, I want to say to those of you who are going through something or or have just been through something, he knows right where you are, and he's hurting because you're hurting. It grieves him that you're hurting. He's sad that you're hurting. He may be able to snap his fingers and everything just be fine, but in the hurting that you are hurting right now, he's He's hurting with you. He's feeling with you. He, he's not oblivious to your pain. And I, I came to just encourage somebody today. When you're doing things and you're going through things that are all about Him getting the glory, you're going to go through some painful times. And sometimes it's going to be brutal. But can I tell you, He's with you in the pain. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm right here. He's not late because He doesn't care. He's late because He's up to something greater. He's up to something that's going to bring glory to him through your life don't worry about it don't stress about it just get through it he's weeping because he cares about you look at your neighbor and say he cares about you and so do I Jesus said the sickness is not unto death I like how he said that it was not unto death and then Lazarus died um, let me fact check this, Jesus. <laughs> you just said this was not unto death. Well, because we find out a little later it was not unto death, it was through death to the resurrection. This was a sickness that was set up, was allowed by God so that there could be a resurrection. There was a dad that was driving down the highway with his little girl in a yellow jacket, flies into the window of their 
of their vehicle. And as I've done many times, he's trying to shoo the, 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 the yellow jacket out the window without dying in a fiery car wreck. And, you know, he can't somehow, I don't know what it is about those like bees and, you know, things that you don't want in your vehicle while you're, I don't even like flies in my vehicle while I'm traveling, but, you know, he couldn't get it out and it began to hover uh, around his little girl who was terribly allergic to bee stings. And so she calls out, Daddy, Daddy, it's going to sting me. So the dad pulls the car over to the side of the road and he hops in the back and uh, he, he, he's still unable to get the bee out. So he corners the bee against uh, this yellow jacket against the, 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 the glass and, and he puts his hand around it and, and, and he just braces himself because he knows he's going to get stung. It's just inevitable. And after it stings him, he opens his hand outside of the car and releases the bee, and the little girl begins panicking, and, and she's just, just totally flipping out because the bee is trying to get back in, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, it's going to come back. The, uh, the bee's going to sting me, and, and the father opens his hand, and he shows the stinger embedded in his hand, and he says to the little girl, No, no, sweetheart, don't worry about that bee. It can't hurt you anymore. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Now, now, I'm going to get back to this. But Lazarus, who had now been dead for four days, he comes staggering out of the grave. He ran out of that grave. Actually, he hopped because he was bound with grave clothes. But by the way, and, and I, I, I found this out recently that four days was very significant to the Jews because a Jew believed that a person's spirit hovered above their dead body for three days to see if some miracle might rejoin the soul to the body. So by the fourth day, the Jews believed that the spirit had given up hope and gone to heaven. Death at four days was considered by all Jews irreversible. But not for Jesus. Because in Him, death was finished. And after His resurrection, there remains no power that can ever threaten His people. That's because in dying for His people, He took death's terrible sting. Oh, I wish you'd get it today. I wish you'd hear me today. And then he can show his hands and say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Come on, somebody. We serve a victorious king, the one who died and took the sting of death for us. So there's nothing that can scare us. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? Death, he's already conquered it. I know it seems like we should be afraid of a lot of things, but we don't even have to be afraid of death. He's already won. And we see at the grave of Lazarus, we get a glimpse of both how God feels and what He is doing in the life of every one of His children. First of all, we know that whatever reason we are suffering, it's not because of a lack of His love for us. At the cross, we see that He loved us so intensely that He not only wept over our pain, but He took the sting of the penalties of sin, our sin, on Himself. 
He felt so strongly that he took upon him the weight of the world. The sin of the world was put upon him. And because it was put upon him, there is nothing that can hinder us. There is nothing that can scare us. There is nothing that should bring fear into our lives. Secondly, we learn as he uh, is at the grave of Lazarus and calls him forth that in his resurrection, we see that he has reversed death itself. Not only removing its power, but actually undoing its effects. And he gets the glory. It's about him. It's about his glory. Jesus told his disciples that the biggest objective he was pursuing in this encounter was God's glory. He told them from the get-go. They didn't get it. They, they missed it. You know, we miss it a lot of times, right? Because we're human and, and he says something or the preacher says something or the, the word of God says something and we just, we miss it. We think about it later and we're like, oh, that's what that meant. I'm sure uh, Peter, James, and John, they probably had a moment where the, this sickness is not unto death. Now he's dead. Now, Jesus, I've never known you to be wrong. <laughs> Something, what, what's up? Something's not quite, you know, working out here. And, you know, every episode of our pain, everything that you go through, every episode of your pain, God is writing a story for His glory. Does your story bring His glory? Mary and Martha, they were sometimes, we, you know, we just like Mary and Martha. We can't see what's going on. We can't see how our pain fits into it. Or why Jesus seems to arrive too late to help us. But we got to keep it in mind, it's for his glory. Because of, of stories like Lazarus, we can always know, hey, even when it seems like he's not working, he is working. Even when it seems like he's not snapping into action when we pray, he is working. I've, I've heard God, uh, that, that you know, somebody said God's work in our life is kind of like a tapestry. Anybody ever seen a tapestry? You know what a tapestry is? Okay, on one side, it looks beautiful. It, it might be, you know, some, some, you know, very colorful work of thread art. But if you just lift the corner and you look at the back side, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing like chaos, right? It's like this erratic, chaotic mess of, of you know, uh, you know, yarn and stra or strands of, 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 of all different colors and nothing makes sense. And, you know, if, if, if all you could see was the backside of the tapestry as it was being woven, you would probably conclude that nothing beautiful was taking shape. The Bible says now we see through a, a glass darkly. <laughs> right now, all we can see is the back of the tapestry. Right now, all we're able to, to really visualize is what's going on in the background. And we don't really see uh, how God's getting the glory out of some of these things. But when you flip it over and you, you look at the front, you'll see that every strand fits perfectly like it's supposed to, according to the plan of the artist. And one day, God's going to flip over history. And we're going to see that every strand of our life was being woven together for His glory. Through the suffering, we came to know Him better. Through the trial, he built us into what did he want us to be. He breaks up our confidence in ourselves, and he says, look what I can do in your life. I want you to know that he is making something beautiful out of your life.
I know it's an old song, but we used to think something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood, right? Amen. All I had to offer was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And I I don't know if you get what I'm trying to say, but whenever your life doesn't seem to make sense, you got to chalk it up. This is for his glory. It doesn't all have to make sense to me right now. Amen. We develop a compassion for others. We understand how much better God is than every earthly gift that we could ever have. How he alone has the power over death and how he is faithful to sustain us in everything that we go through, even in our pain, even in our suffering. And sometimes it's in our pain and suffering that we experience parts of God that we could not know outside of our suffering and outside of our pain. And he says, I have to let you go through this so that you can bring my glory to be displayed. They're not easy lessons. They're not cheap lessons. They're costly. They're costly and they're they're brutal, but they are beautiful when he finishes. You may be feeling like, man, my life is just in pieces. My life is a mess. You, you, you couldn't certainly, you're talking about all these people that look the part today and all these people that have everything figured out. No, I'm I'm really referring to those of us who are pieces broken pieces have you ever heard of the ancient uh kitsugi tribe in japan i'm not sure that that's the right pronunciation but uh the kintsugi tribe in japan uh years and years and years ago they were renowned for their pottery and after creating a magnificently beautifully painted vessel they would smash them against a rock And then they would fasten the hundreds of pieces back together with melted gold sealing the seams. And the restored pottery was infinitely more valuable than it was before it had been broken. God is doing something in your life. He's doing the same thing for you that they did with those broken vessels. He says, I'm going to allow you. If you'll just allow yourself to be broken, I I can make something beautiful. I can make something that's more valuable. I I can make something that's worth more. And 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 he'll allow life to smash us sometimes so that he can pick up the broken pieces. and, And he can take his essence and he can put it in us. And he says, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Come on, somebody. And he puts the pieces pieces back together and as he puts those pieces back together he is getting the glory yes you can see the cracks yes you can see the scars but you see Jesus shining through I wish you would hear what I'm saying to you today God's trying to get glory out of your life he wants you to display his glory and his essence and it's not about what you do it's about why you do what you do Ultimately, it's about who are we displaying. It's going to get quiet for a second. In God's kingdom, our motivations matter the most. If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, it don't even count. You know, God judges the motives of our heart, and he's only rewarding those who do the right things for the right reason. And let me just be totally honest and transparent with you today. This is a confession I am not proud of, but I'm just going to tell you. I think a lot of my reward that I 
think that I'm going to receive or that I thought that I was going to receive. I think it's been forfeited because I did things for me and not for him. Oh, not you, Pastor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every one of us has a little bit of ambition in us. Every one of us does things, you know, notice me, look at me, look at my post, like my post, like my video, like my picture. Oh, you don't think, you don't think you're that bad? Ask somebody close to you. Maybe you don't even have social media, but you got to be the center of attention all the time. Well, I need to keep moving on, so. There is no circumstance or, or trouble that you could go through in life that God can't get the glory out of. Because it says that he's working all things together. Jesus told his disciples, this is ultimately about God's glory. Not Lazarus' healing. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, none of them could see it. But God was using the situation to teach other people that they had never met, that they might not ever know about His glory. And as, as much as you and I don't like it, these 44 verses of John chapter 11 that tell the story, they're agonizing. They're agonizing to go through. And, and, and can you imagine being... Mary or Martha, you, you talk about really painful. You talk about, I, I can't even imagine what they must have felt like to, to know that they had the great healer that was their closest friend and he didn't show up and he didn't heal and all these things that they went through and, and they went through all this and, and you say, oh, that was horrible. He could have just given them a clue. He did. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. <laughs> You know, what, what he was trying to teach them is you can have abundant life right now even though your circumstances don't seem like it. You can really be happy about everything and, and be satisfied with everything even though it's painful right now, even though it's brutal that you're going through this. But you can have the joy. Why did they have to go through it? Why did they have to experience all that? And, and, and we sit back wonder sometimes, God, why do we have to go through it? God, why... Why is my, this chapter of my life so painful and it seems like nobody cares and nobody likes me? And I, I just, you know, and, and what the devil does is he jumps on our shoulders like, you know, God doesn't really care about you. If he really cared about you, he would have fixed that. No, not always. Don't, don't, don't believe the lies. Of the, you know, some people leave church because the devil lies to them and they believe it. If, if you ever hear something that God doesn't love you or that you are not special to him, that's a lie. That's a lie. I, I can tell you without any reservation, that's a lie because he went to Calvary. He gave his life for you. He, he, he went there and suffered what he suffered so that you could have eternal life. You can't ever tell me God doesn't love me or God doesn't care. He loves you. He cares about you. You are special to him. You got you to gotta get this today. He wants you to have abundant life. That's what he died for. So whenever you hear that lie, oh, the church doesn't like me. The pastor doesn't like me. God doesn't like me. He's not fixing my stuff, so he doesn't even care. He's not hearing my prayer. Oh, you're You're wrong. You're wrong. You, you, you got to hear me today. When the devil lies to you, don't believe the lies. You, you've got to, you got to recognize that's not God. Because God's not going to go against his word. And the scripture says God so loved the world. 
I find it amazing that they had to go through all that. And there was no real, like, I mean, when it really comes out, he could have showed up sooner. He could have done things differently. He could have sent them a notice. Oh, by the way, Lazarus is going to die. I'm going to get there. I'm going to raise him. Everything's going to be cool. He didn't do that. They had to go through it. And their experience and them going through it, we're still talking about it 2,000 plus years later. Because guess who got the glory? In John chapter 10, Jesus says you, you, you can have abundant life. That's what he died for. So in order to have abundant life, you've got to live a life where God gets all the glory. You can't live an abundant life and still get all the glory. He's increasing. We're decreasing. So how do we make sure that God's getting all the glory? Well, we've got to do the right things for the right reason. Because if we do the wrong thing, or the right things for the wrong reason, we're just, you know, missing our blessing. <laughs> Nothing to me is more liberating than embracing that the events of my life are not primarily about me. To realize, this is going to be hard for some of you, it was hard for me at first, to realize I'm not the main character of this story. <laughs> I'm just going to let it sink in. What is the major pursuit of your life? What's the theme of your life? Every movie has major characters and minor characters, and what happens to minor characters is really less important, right? You know, minor characters, they exist to serve the storyline of the main character. For example, how many of you know who Biggs Darklighter is? Anybody know who Biggs Darklighter is? Nobody, okay. You, you probably wouldn't unless you're kind of nerdy. Like me, you know, I'm a little bit nerdy. I, I look these things up. You probably do know the name Luke Skywalker, though, right? Okay. So, if it weren't for Biggs Darklighter, then Luke's story would have stopped before it started. Because Biggs Darklighter was Red 3, the X-Wing fighter pilot who thrust his spacecraft between Luke's fighter and the Imperial TIE fighter trying to destroy him. The lasers intended for Luke went into Biggs' ship, Biggs died, and Luke lived. Big's role in the movie lasted only 90 seconds, and most people that you ask don't even know who Big's Darklighter is. But his story is an important part of the whole, because, I mean, think about what he did. How would you like to be Big's Darklighter? You spent all this time preparing to be an X-Wing fighter. You go to X-Wing school. It's very difficult to get into. You did it. You studied. You mastered the art of flying. You acted with bravery, and nobody even knows your name. You were only in the story to serve the purpose of the bigger story, the story of Luke Skywalker and the hope that he would bring. <laughs> Coming to Jesus is a lot like stepping out of a movie where you were the main character into one where you're just a minor character. What happens to you becomes less important than how your story serves the more important story. Let me encourage you, not one thread in your life is out of place. Jesus is never absent. He's never forgetful. He's never late. Everything he's doing is we, oh, I wish you would hear me. He's bringing his glory about in your life. But you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing right now. I, I, it doesn't matter. It's just part of the bigger story. Well... If you will make his glory the main theme of your life, your primary concern, guess what he will do? He will write your story. 
He will write your story. Let me just ask you this. What would have to change in your life for God to get all the glory? We, we talk about it. Sometimes, you know, I, I've, you've heard me say this. Pentecostal preachers, we are great at telling everybody what they ought to do. Like we could tell you, you know, this is bad. We need to change this. And then we don't tell you how to change it. Sometimes. I try to. If you know me, in almost every one of my sermons, there's an application ending. So here comes the application ending. How can we let our lives be for the glory of God? The first thing that we can do, the first practical step that I want to give you today, and if you're taking notes, this is a great place to take notes. Uh, this is the first thing I would recommend. Repent and turn to God. You cannot bring God glory with sin in your life. It's not going to happen. Yes, you can run, you can hide. Repentance and, and, and uh, turning from sin glorifies God because if you excuse your sin, you absolve yourself of any responsibility and you blame God for getting you into the mess. To confess means, God, I agree with you that sin is all my fault. This sin is all my fault and I repent. Have you ever met somebody who, who blamed everybody else for their sin? Well, I wouldn't be like this if it weren't for... The devil is a liar. <laughs> we, we just got to agree with God. We've sinned. Amen? Sin is our fault. We made the choice. We, we, we didn't just make a mistake. We sinned. We knew it wasn't pleasing to God, and we did it anyways. So the first way to bring God glory is you got to say, yep, that was me. I did it. I'm wrong. I got problems. That act alone glorifies God more than you could ever know. You know what the angels rejoice over? One sinner. Just one. Just one that says, God, it was me. I'm wrong. I did. <laughs> I wish somebody in this place would make the angels have a party. I wish some, before you leave today, I wish you'd just stand up and say, God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Because when you do, God gets the glory and the angels rejoice. You don't have to beg God for forgiveness. He's faithful and just to forgive as soon as you repent. I want to bring God glory. So the first thing I got to do is say, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. Amen. The second thing you, you can do is you can bear much fruit. Now, John... 15.8, told, Jesus told the disciples, he said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Why did he say this? Because the world can see the results of a spirit-filled life. It's hard to ignore. That's what we are here for, is to put God's glory on display for the world. When we live a life that is led by God's spirit, the world will see and glorify our father, which is in heaven. That's why it's so important. We don't just come to church and occupy space. It's not just a Sunday thing that we do. We have to bear much fruit. Our life has to show it. You know, I, I've met some people that, uh, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, they were big people, like muscly people. I met a guy one time, and he was huge. Like, he was like, I want to say he was like 6'11". He had huge muscles. Probably about 9% body fat. And I saw him at the airport. It didn't take me long to figure out, that dude's a professional football player. 
I could see it. You know what cracks me up? When I walk in some place and they go, you're a preacher, aren't you? I'm in jeans and a button-up. How did you know I was a preacher? There's just something about you. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. My light's not gone out yet. There should be something about our life that reflects God's glory. And when we go out into the world, we don't look just like the world. We don't talk just like the world. We're not doing all the things the world does. We bear much fruit, and they can tell there's something different about you. And then you have those, you know, slightly awkward experiences where somebody says, You're, are you a Christian? Yeah, I am. Would you pray for me? And you start praying for them, and they, they lose it right in the middle of Walmart. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And sometimes I'm looking around like, they're going to think I'm picking on this person, you know? They think I'm, you made that woman cry. Ma'am, are you okay? The third thing I would invite you to do is to give God praise daily. Give God praise daily. Psalm 50, 23 says, He who offers a sacrifice with thanksgiving honors me. Praise honors God. One way to praise God, you know, some people are thinking praise God. And you come in and worship and dance, and that's, that's great. But you know one way that you can praise God is give him the credit for everything. Well, I got a promotion on my job. Look at how smart I am. Nope. Nope. He gets the credit. If, if he didn't help you, your brain would go to mush. So guess what? He's enabled you to get that promotion. He's blessed you. You know what? Whenever it's about him and he's getting the glory and, and people are seeing, oh, yeah, they're, they're, that's really about God. Their life is all about God. That's really cool. They, they want to know what you know. They want to have what you have. But whenever it's just only what the flesh can do and only what our humanity can do, then we get the credit. But God says, I won't share my glory with another. So God should get the credit for everything. We give him the credit whenever somebody gets sick and they don't get healed like we want them to. God, come on. Why don't we give him the credit for everything? God, you're letting me go through this. Man, I give you the credit for that. <laughs> this is not fun, God. I'm giving you all that credit. No, how about all the good things too? How about the things that we, we can't really explain? I, I don't know how God did that, but man, that was awesome how he worked that out. I didn't know how it was going to come out, but man, God did amazing things in my life. If we'd start telling people that and we'd start showing people that in our life, we, we couldn't hold the crowd of people because people are drawn to that. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we live a life that gives God credit and praises him with everything, he's just drawing people. He's just drawing people. Oh, your life praises him. He's drawing people through that. Maybe I've gone too far. Next thing I, I want to invite you to do is be content. Be content. Who made us? God. And he promises to supply all of our needs. Yes. When we are content, we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives, and that gives him glory. When we go around complaining about what we don't have, and somebody always has it better, and I wish I had this, and I wish I had that, and, you know, my life, oh, woe is me. Especially when you do it on social media. <clears throat> Be 
content. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what he's blessed me with. I'm thankful for what I have. I, I don't want to ever take it for granted. Next thing I would invite you to do is to pray God's will. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Jesus' name signifies all that he is and all that he would want. So when you pray in his name, that means you are praying in accordance with his character and his will for your life. Whatever you do, right? We're supposed to do everything in Jesus' name. That means more than just praying over our food in Jesus' name, baptizing people in Jesus' name, praying for healing in Jesus' name. Whatever you do in order to do all in the name, that means, guess what? His name's on it. Whatever I do, his name's on it. When our kids go to camp or they go to an event, I remind them, behave. Be on your best behavior. Don't act a fool. Why? Because you represent me and you represent the crossroads. God's like, hey, and you all represent me. Whatever you do, in order to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Why? Because there's something that happens whenever people see their life is different. That Their life is giving God glory. Their life is bringing glory to God. And so when we pray, we are praying according to God's will. How do I know what God's will is? Well, I have his word. Do you know he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Why? Because he likes a party too. He likes a party too. The angels throw a party. They get excited. They rejoice over one sinner that repents, and God wants everybody to come to repent. Why wouldn't we? We're getting ready to start our new life groups in September, first week of September, and some, some I'm just going to say this, don't take this, I'm not being condemning or critical, but you need to hear me just real quick. Sometimes we're like, I'm so busy, I can't make it to a life group. I'm so busy, I can't make it to Bible study. I'm so busy. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something that I think will like light your fire. It, it will turn you on to life groups and to soul winning and to, to disciple making for a long time. You know what it is? We have books that we're going to be using. We're all using the same book, Messages of Hope. It's a book that I wrote. You know the author. If you've got a problem with him, you can just tell him, you know? Like, I don't understand that. You know, it's, it's really simple, okay? Most of the stuff is just messages that I preached the first five years that I was here as pastor. Uh, it's Sister Peach's fault. She wanted to turn it into a book, and that turned into a big several-year process, and now we have the book. Anyways, long story short, this is what I want you to do. I want you to be praying about somebody that you can bring with you to Life Group and buy them their book for $5. Make an investment, buy them a book for $5, pray for them, and over the next couple weeks say, hey, would you go to such and such house with me? We're we're doing this Life Group thing together. I bought you a book because I I figured you'd want to come with me. We could just go hang out and have a good time. Do you know what that would do? As you're praying for them, you're praying God's will. You're praying that they come to repentance. You're praying that they get closer to him. That is God's will. When you pray God's will, guess what? You put God on the spot because he's bound to his word. Am I making you nervous? Some of you are just happy just to come to church once a week or once a month. And you know why you're so bored? You know why your life is not fulfilled? Because God's not getting glory out of that. 
The empty seats, God's not getting glory out of that. Well, this church is fixing to go to another level. Amen. We're, we're going to another level. You, you, you don't even understand. God's already declared that it was going to be so. He's already promised that he was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, that sons and daughters would prophesy. He's already promised in the last days it's going to happen. We're getting ready to go to another level. And the only way we can do that is bring him glory. It's God's delight to reveal his glory in answered prayer. That's why he commands us to pray, so that he can show us his greatness and we can give him the praise that he's worthy to receive. Can I tell you this? God doesn't answer, he will not answer any prayers that you don't pray. And if it just coincidentally seems to happen and you're like, oh, that's awesome, I really wanted that to happen, then he's not getting the glory. But when you pray about it and then it happens, he gets the glory. And you can say, I prayed about that, I asked God for that, and look what he did. Amen. Two more, and I'm going to quit. Share God's word. That's another thing. You can write that down. Share God's word. Paul wrote, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. 2 Thessalonians 3.1. How was the word of God glorified through those believers? Because they heard it and they believed. They trusted Jesus. They were uh, baptized in Jesus' name. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and God got the glory. So when we present the word clearly and accurately, it always gives him glory. Scripture says that the word will not return void. Whatever, whenever the word goes forth, it's going to do what he said it's going to do. Are you with me? Have I lost you? You read, you read how they had explosive growth in the, the new church, in the early church in the book of Acts, right? The word increased, and because the word increased, the people increased. Every time you see revival happen, every time you see mighty things happen, it's because the word of God grew and multiplied. So we share God's word. We present it accurately because God is bound to his word. Every time a Sunday school teacher teaches a class of kids, every time a Bible study teacher, uh, they, they open the word of God in somebody's living room, every time a father or mother sit down with the family and start talking about the word of God, God is glorified. It's all about him. We honor him by making his word known and understood in the lives of the people around us. And lastly, I want to encourage you, make disciples. Make disciples. God is glorified when Satan's prison is broken open and men and women are turned loose from the power of the evil one. People are saved from their sin in order to give glory to God. So the more people who are saved, the more people who are discipled, the more people that get closer to God, the more thanksgiving is going on, and the more there are in the choir singing hallelujah. There's, there's more people in the church saying, God did it for me. Amen. I want to make his praise glorious. I want to make God's glory known to everybody that I come in contact with. Amen. Very simple things that we can do. It's not complicated. We repent and turn to God. We can bear much fruit. We can give God praise daily. We can be content. We can pray God's will. We can share God's word and we can make disciples. You want to know how can my life make a difference? How can my uh, minor uh, role become a part of God's great story? It's got to be about him getting the glory. If it's about anything else, 
We're going to stand before him and all the things that we thought we did, all the things that we thought we were so special for, he's going to say, depart from me. I, I never knew you. The way he's going to recognize us is how much of himself does he see in you? Would you stand with me? Today, I, I've, I've tried to deliver what I felt God has for our church today, and I've, I've tried to come across in the, you know, I don't, I don't want to just be hyping you. I don't want to just be kind of, you know, pushing you into a frenzy. That's, that's not my goal. My goal is for you uh, to be provoked to good works, for you to be thinking about how can I let God get the glory from my life. One of the first things that you can do right now today is you can turn your entire life over to God. Turn your life over to God completely. Quit, quit worrying about denominations. Quit worrying about rules and regulations and, and this and that and the other and making excuses as to why you can't serve God completely. That's all a bunch of distractions sent to you by the enemy of your soul. Because God's not worried about what you look like right now or, or what your worst thought is or, or how badly you've messed up. God's not, he's not focused on that right now. All he says is, if you'll just turn your life over to me, I can take all the pieces, I can take all the, the mess, and I can make something beautiful out. You just got to give me a chance. For too long, too many churches have said, you know, when you come into this church, this, you have to have this right and this right. We don't want to tell you. And we won't tell you in this church. We, we will not come to you and say, you're doing something wrong. You're out of line. We won't do that. You know what we'll do? Why don't you pray about it? Why don't you talk to God and get into His Word? God will speak to you. You know what? A lot of times God... Will speak to us, and then we just say, I don't know if I want to go that far. And what we're saying without saying it, I don't know if I want to give him that much glory. I'd like to hold some for myself. I'd like people to look at me. I know that's not popular. It's, I'm not going to win any popularity contest. I realize that. <laughs> but one thing that I have learned is that as I decrease, He increases in my life. And the things that I used to question and worry and wonder and fret about, and I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can go that far. I don't think I can surrender that much. Little by little, I let go. I let go. I let go. And before you know it, I wake up every day. I'm like, God, what do you want to do today? Surrender. That's the, that's the place to start. So today, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to pray, and then this altar's open. I want you to respond today. If God's not getting the glory in your life, then something needs to change. Because no matter what we do on this earth, it's not going to matter. It's not going to last unless God gets the glory. So today, Jesus, I pray that there would be those in this place that would respond to what they've heard from your word. God, Lazarus died, and you weren't there, and it seemed like all hope was lost, but God, you had the situation under control, 
and nothing escaped your notice. You were in control the entire time and you did everything that you did. You allowed everything to happen for your glory. And God, everything that we're dealing with in our lives right now, everything that we're facing, every trial, every temptation, every worry, every anxiety that we have, God, is all in your plan. And you, God, are able to take something broken, something messed up, something chaotic and make it beautiful. Help us to respond by surrendering to you and to turning our life over completely to you. And God, through this, we will give you glory in Jesus' name. This altar's open. This altar's open. I wonder if you'd come tonight, today and just respond to, to the, what you've heard. Why don't you just talk to God? You say, well, I'm not, this is not necessarily, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's fine. Just maybe step out of your steed or, or step into the aisle. Lift up your hands and say, God, I want to surrender to you. If you're nervous about doing it by yourself and you're worried about what people will think, just tell your neighbor, say, would you go with me? I want to I respond to what I've heard today. And God will give you the, the, the uh, confidence and he'll give you the courage to make that step.